the, the point is that sometimes when we notice him, it's not enough. Sometimes he says, okay, well, I'm still going to try my luck. I'm going to push this as, as far as I can and see if there's maybe a crack that I can break through. In those times when he doesn't back off, when he keeps attacking you, that's when you need to take action. And you're taking action in two ways. The first one is that you resist him. You stand against what he's trying to do. You resist what he's trying to do in your life. You notice it, and then you resist it. And then you also need to stand firm in your faith. So let's just look at the passage again in context. It says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Why? Because we've got an enemy, the devil, or adversary, the devil, that prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What do we need to do? We need to resist them, firm in our faith. Firm in our faith in what? Firm in our faith in God. Firm in our faith in a person. Firm in our faith in Jesus, the one that has got all the power, the one that is our safe place, the one that we hide ourselves in. And then I think James actually, he talks about a very similar thing, and he, he puts it in a bit more clarity for me. Um, James writes, he says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. There are these two parts to taking action. We notice the enemy, but we need to res- and we need to resist him, but we also need to draw near to God. And this drawing near to God is not just in the times when we're facing the challenge or the temptation or whatever. It is always, but especially in those challenges, that's when you need to draw near to God. Um, when you're taking action and you're resisting, it's not just a thing of um, saying, I don't know, let's say it's a temptation. Temptation, go away, go away, go away. Like, I'm not going to think of this temptation. That's not enough. <laughs> you need to set your mind on something else. You need to set your mind on God. That's ultimately what draws you out of it. Um, it's, a, it's kind of like this, it's a common example people use, but if I tell you don't think about a zebra, so don't think about its black stripes on its white body. It kind of looks like a horse, or is it white stripes on a black body? Who knows? Um, don't think about a zebra at all. Okay, so guys, what are you thinking about right now? That's, that's the point. Like, if, if you put your attention on a thing you shouldn't focus on, you're going to focus on the fact that you're struggling with this thing. Um, so set your mind on, on God. Set your mind on prayer. Like, uh, there's um, a, a cool testimony from Jackie, Jackie Pullinger. Uh, she did a lot of uh, ministry work. Uh, in Hong Kong, uh, in, in a very dark, the Kowloon city, a very dark place. There are lots of drugs and everything. And uh, she shared this amazing story of there wasn't one drug addict that would come to her which the Lord wouldn't miraculously set free. And every time when someone would come to her, her approach would just be, um, tell the, she tells the person, first of all, the person needs to get saved. Like, that's, that's kind of a step one. But after they're saved, they still have this drug addiction, there's still this draw from the drugs on them. Um, And then she says, okay, well, whenever you feel that urge, just start praying in tongues. And then you don't stop praying in tongues until the the thing has left you. And then almost consistently, after a week or so, all of those drug addicts would be free from from drugs. Now, that that was her testimony. Like, the Lord is going to work with you in in your own way. But the point is that you, instead of focusing on, I'm having these urges for the drugs right now, you're setting your mind on God. When you pray in tongues, you're glorifying Him. You, you, you're putting your attention constantly on what Jesus has done. And that is the thing that draws you out of that. So it's two steps. It's resist, but it is also draw near to God. And I think um, it was actually cool. Stuart read this now, and I'm going to uh, emphasize some points here. But Psalm 34, let's just look at some portions of Psalm 34. And I, I highlighted all of the, the action things that you do. <laughs> There's a lot of things that we need to do. Like this is the take action step um, in this picture. Um, So he says, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. 
those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. It's not just that everybody is radiant with joy if you're a believer. You need to look to him for help. When you're in that situation, are you looking to him for help or are you looking at your own ability to solve that situation, solve the problem? Are you looking to him? Are you drawing near to him? And then it says, no shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me of all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. And uh, Enray just very nicely just again share what is the fear of the Lord. It is us acknowledging who God is, submitting to his lordship. If we position our heart in such a way that saying, okay, God, you are God, I'm not. I'm not going to try to take your place in this situation. I'm not going to try to solve this by myself. Lord, I'm surrendering my life to you. Then it says that the Lord, that the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. And then taste and see that the Lord is good. That's when you draw near to him. When you spend that time with him in prayer, like you get to taste that the Lord is good. And also in, in life, you see his faithfulness operating. You get to taste of his goodness. There's this miraculous thing that we have to, we get to experience in this life. Once we are with him in eternity, we will never be able to experience his faithfulness again. You realize that. Because he will always be there. He will just, all our needs will be met. It's not like we need to trust for something in prayer when we're with him. We can have faith now. We can trust for things now in a sense that we can never trust again after Jesus returns. So there's something of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, that he is glorious in these times that we face now. It says, oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him, that hide themselves in him, that, that um, run to him for safety. And then it says in verse 17, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them um, from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue each time. That last part is very interesting. It says the righteous person faces many troubles. Not the sinner or the wicked person. The righteous person, the person that is trying to see God as best he can, that person faces many troubles. And the interesting part as well is that a trouble is only a trouble if you're actually struggling in it. It's not a trouble if you, oh, here's a trouble, oh, I'm out of it. It wasn't a trouble. Like if the Lord just immediately rescues you out of every trouble, you've never been in a trouble. <laughs> if, if, you, if, if you immediately rescued out of any suffering, you've never suffered. Like, the point is that suffering means that you're sitting in it. You're staying there for a while. But ultimately, the Lord comes to the rescue each time. It's that patience that we need to wait on Him in that time. When we're taking action, when we're resisting, when we're drawing near to Him, it's not an immediate, oh, cool, <clears throat> I'm now out of this thing. It takes a bit of time. We need to keep resisting. We need to keep drawing near to God. So let's look, look about this suffering because Peter also talks about it. Um, so just in the context again, it says, resist the devil, resist him, firm in your faith, and I'm just putting it in brackets, drawing near to God, that's what I'm understanding as firm in your faith, um, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, and then he goes on, which I'll carry on just now, but what is the suffering that he keeps talking about? Well, first of all, it is that the devil is walking around like a roaring lion, and I think um, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 catches a good heart in this. It says a very similar thing. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So it's a similar thing of um, the suffering that you're experiencing is, is the same of all the brothers in the world. This temptation that is overtaking you um, is common to man. But it says, God is faithful 
and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. And we often stop there. It's like, great, there's a temptation. God provides the way of escape. What is the way of escape? It's not a way. It's the way. There's only one way of escape. The way of escape is that you may be able to endure it. So when, and I must maybe just clarify here, the word temptation here um, in Greek, it's uh, perasmos, and it, it's a, a, a word that can either mean trial or it could mean temptation. It's, it means both things, and you need to look at the context to understand which one it is. Um, so you could, in this context, also say, well, it's, you're facing trials, um, but God gives you the ability to endure it. But ultimately, if I could summarize everything now, or, or just what we've gotten up to this point, the devil walks around, he's trying to devour us, the way he does this is through various trials and temptations, through suffering, through challenges that we face. And everybody experiences this. Your challenges might be slightly different to mine. Your temptations might be different to mine. But we're all experiencing the same thing. It's the devil. He doesn't have many plans, actually. He's, he's got some schemes. We're not ignorant of those schemes. There aren't that many. He's just trying to sidetrack us and devour us and get us away from God. Um, but, uh, and it's, yeah, sorry, so, so that's the way that the enemy does this. And then God helps us to escape these things, these trials and temptations. And the way that God enables us to escape them is by giving us the endurance and the ability to keep on resisting. He puts us in a situation where he knows that we are able to keep on enduring through this thing until he finally comes through and rescues us. And that's now where Peter ends it as well. And the, the word I put to that is rest. It's just... After you've been through the storm, it's calm. You rest. So, to pick up in First uh, Peter 5 again, it's like, after you have suffered a little while, and maybe you just want to talk about a little while, um, that little while is, uh, is, is very relative. <laughs> the relativeness to which it is, exists is eternity. So, if you, if you consider eternity, then you're suffering a little while. But for this life, it, that little while might feel like quite a long while. But uh, I'll, I'll get back to that just now. It's just, let's just read. It says, um, And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. That is, that's the eternity that's waiting for us. We are called to that eternal glory in Christ, to be with him for all eternity. It says, He will himself restore, confirm, or support, and strengthen, and establish you. After you've suffered, he will restore you. After you've suffered, he will confirm you. After you've suffered, he will strengthen you. We would always like the strengthening in the suffering, but it says he will, and he does strengthen us in our suffering, but here it says he will strengthen us more fully after we've suffered. And after we've suffered, he will establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, I think the suffering and this little while, there's two ways you could take it. The one is, just generally that life is suffering and we're going to suffer until we finally uh, spend eternity with Jesus. So there's this life and then there's the eternal life that we share with him uh, more directly. And in that context, yes, it's a little suffer. It's a little while that we need to suffer compared to the eternal glory that we're going to share with him. But I think the other one aspect in which we can also look at this is that we go through these seasons. There's a season of suffering, a season of temptation or a momentary temptation or whatever. And then after we've gotten through that, we have been strengthened. We have been grown in our faith. We've been established more. God confirms us again to say that you are my son. I love you. Like, come on, draw close to me. So that, those, those are the cycles that we, we often face. And this is the a little picture that I kind of made up to try to illustrate this. 
So let's say you've just come out of a, a struggle. Then God is busy. He's restoring you. He's confirming you. He's strengthening you. And that's that blue part there. But you notice that while the rest exists, you need to notice the whole time. There's not one moment that you can stop noticing. The enemy is still walking around like a roaring lion looking to devour you. So in your rest, in your time that you're being strengthened and confirmed and established, be watchful, be sober-minded, pray, draw near to God. Those are the things that we do in order to stay close to God's heart, to notice when the enemy is starting to approach. And then when he approaches, or like I said, often the notice is enough, he leaves you alone, but then sometimes he pushes his luck and sees how far he can go. Then we need to take action. We need to resist him, and we need to draw near to God. And that is a little while. In terms of the bigger picture, that's a little while, that suffering. But we have to keep persevering and enduring through that. And then once we've endured through it, God again gives us the rest, and he restores and strengthens us. Now, that, this, is, this um, cycle is the way that God forms us. That's the way that he, he works with us. Um, that's the way that he, he grows us in our um, maturity, in our faith being ultimately strengthened. And um, uh, th- this, this cycle is, is unfortunately inherent to life. A friend of mine once said that uh, you, you're either currently in a storm or you just came out of a storm or you're about to go into a storm. <laughs> that's, that is often the way life is. Um, but God is, is still growing us through these storms. This, this, a storm isn't meaningless. It is this, in, in a, for a Christian's life, a storm and suffering is that thing that forms us. And um, in First Peter 1, he, catch, uh, he picks up on this idea. So he says, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Again, that little while. But when you must endure many trials. And he says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being, your faith is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So the goal that God has in mind is he ultimately is preparing a bride for him so that when Jesus returns, we will be a purified bride that can spend eternity with him. And in this process of purifying us in this life, so that, um, as it ends there, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed or when he returns, that is why he's putting us through these various trials. And just to say something about gold, um, I've seen actually how they, how they purify gold. So they, initially gold, when you dig it out, it's, it's not very pure. It's got lots of other, um, I don't know, metals and minerals and whatever in it. So the way they... They take this, they put all of these little pieces of um, mixed gold into a little um, furnace or into a, 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 I don't know what you call it, a little bucky. And they put that bucky into the furnace and then it, it melts all of the, the materials. And since gold is so dense, it goes to the bottom and everything else floats on top of the gold. And then once you've heated it up to the a sufficient temperature and everything has melted, then you can just simply very easily just scrape over the top and then you get rid of all of the impurities. There's no other way to get rid of the impurities of, in gold than to just heat it up very hot, you scrape it off. Very, very simple. But you need to be in that furnace first before it's so easy. And that furnace is the trials that we go through. And that's the way that God purifies our faith. It, it, it tests our faith to see, is our faith still pure? Is our faith still fully focused on Him with that perspective opportunity in mind? Um, Romans 5, 
Paul picks up on a, on a similar idea. He says, we rejoice, and this is again that picture of rejoicing. We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. That's that maturity that we're looking for. And the character produces hope. And what does this hope do? This hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts to the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This hope that we have in God, this, first of all, eternal hope, but this hope just for who He is, that we, we said He is, is who He is. And we, we see this hope in our hearts when we, we experience deeper measures of God's love being poured into our hearts. If you have God's love being poured into your heart, you've got an absolute certainty in your heart that God loves you. It's not like somebody told you. It's, it's in your heart. He has poured it into your heart through the Holy Spirit. That happens according to this. After you've been through suffering, endurance, character, ultimately hope, then that deeper measure of God's love becomes true to you. Like any person, once they're saved, there's something that you understand of God's love, but you don't understand the full picture of God's love until you've been through this, this um, refining process. And that, kind of looking at Stuart, he's been through many refining processes recently, and it's in the midst of that that God has revealed his love to him in such an incredibly deep way um, that he, I'm pretty sure he would not have seen if it wasn't for that suffering that he had been through. It's also, if you think about Job's story, um, Job initially was very prosperous. He, he, he had everything going for him. It didn't seem like he faced many storms. Actually, the devil came to God and said, like, Job is just blessed the whole time. Like, no wonder he, he um, like, praises and glorifies you. It's like, it's just going well with this guy. And then God allowed the devil to uh, have an opportunity to, to walk around Job like a roaring lion, seeing if he can devour him. And Job lost pretty much everything. He lost uh, all of his kids. He, he lost uh, most of his cattle and his, like, all of his livestock. And everything just like, was going terribly. And even his body, his health, was falling apart. He was in incredible pain for a long time. And at the end of that entire journey, he had grown in his faith in God, and he, he, he makes this incredible statement in Job um, 42, verse 5. He says, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. That only happened after he's been through the suffering. He had all of the blessings from God. He knew God to, to a large extent, but his eyes had never seen God until he had been through this, and God revealed something more of his nature and his character to him. And then after all of this suffering, God ended up restoring Job doubly the way, like he had twice as many children as he had before. He had twice as many of everything that he had before. So ultimately, the restoration, the confirming, the establishing of Job was there, but he first had to go through the suffering. So to close, I, I, I kind of want to speak to two main groups here. Some of you might currently be in the middle of a storm. And in the middle of the storm, it is... Incredibly easy to just take a back foot and say, I'm suffering now, like, just kind of leave me alone. Um, I don't have energy to spend time with God now. Like, I, I'm, I'm just surviving here. But in that suffering, what you need to do is you need to keep on resisting, but you need to draw near to God. He is your refuge. He is the place that you run to and are safe. He's the one that gives you the ability to endure. He's the one that um, you know, gives you the, the perspective on the situation to say that, do not focus so much on what the enemy is doing right now. That will cause you depression. If you focus just on the situation, you will just get more and more depressed. But if you see that God is going to use the situation ultimately for his glory so that I would be strengthened and um, have grown to maturity, 
then you can have that perspective of rejoicing in the suffering because you see the end result that it will have. Not that the suffering is fun or at all enjoyable, but because of the result of the suffering. So you need to draw near to God so that you would see again that perspective. And the, yeah, just also the, the hope that God will ultimately pull you through it. And then once he's pulled you through it, he will do those things that to restoring you, he will confirm you, he will strengthen you and establish you. And then the other group, um, you might not be in a storm right now. And uh, you might have thought, hey, things are going well. I, I'm, I'm actually in a good place. I don't need to, like I haven't been facing temptation much at all recently. I'm actually in a good place. And, and the risk there is that you may be falling into pride. And pride comes before the fall. Once you're thinking you're standing, you, th that's when the enemy says, hey, cool, there's a bit of pride. I can grab onto that. And now let's, here's, a, here's a temptation. Now you're even going to be more crushed. So if you're not in a storm right now, if you're not facing something right now, keep vigilant, stay sober-minded, be watchful, keep your eyes on God, sharpening your senses so that you would notice when the enemy starts approaching. And then, as I was saying, often when you, when you notice him and you just take a, take a stand, it's, it's enough to get him to, to run away. But then also being ready that when he does keep pushing his life, that you would be able to resist and draw near to God. So I just want to pray for us. Yeah, Father, I, I thank you that you, you know us each individually so intimately, Lord, that there is nothing in our lives that is hidden from you, nothing that is veiled, no struggle, no pain, no brokenheartedness that is hidden from you, Lord, that you are the one that comes and, and yours the brokenhearted. You're the one that comes and are close to those that are suffering. Lord, thank you that you are the one that is um, ever-present um, in our time of need, Lord, that you never leave us, you never forsake us, Lord. We can come to you and know that we are safe in your arms, Lord. Thank you that in the middle of a storm, Lord, you, you are the one that is able to give us perspective. I pray that you would give perspective to, to those that are lacking it, Lord. I pray that you would open their eyes to, to see what you are busy doing in their hearts and in their lives, Lord, and that they would again have this, this joy of their salvation restored to them, that even in the suffering, their destiny is secure, and that that would give them joy, Lord. Yeah, and I pray, Lord, for, for those that are, are in a good space, Lord, but those maybe have stopped really seeking you because things are going well. I pray that you would again stir this thing in their heart, that the enemy is, is prowling around like a roaring lion, Lord, that they, are, um, they need to be watchful and sober-minded, that they would always be able to stand when the enemy approaches, Lord. Lord, I pray that not one of us would, would fall for the enemy's schemes, that we would not fall into the traps that the enemy sets, Lord, but that we would put on the armor of God, Lord, strengthen ourselves in you so that we would be able to stand, Lord, that we would be able to um, just keep on being this representation of Jesus who, when the enemy came to him and tempted him, he was always able to stand against him and say, no, this is not what the, like, this is what the Bible says. This is the perspective I'm leaning on because my senses are sharp and I know you're trying to catch me out. Pray that we would have that, that same vigilance, Lord. Yeah, so, Lord, may your name be blessed. May your name be glorified for being the one that, that does everything in our lives, Lord. The one that sustains us, that strengthens us, that feeds us, that nourishes our souls, and that we would taste and see that you are good, Lord. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.